Good morning, everyone. My name is Bob, and I have the privilege of reading our scripture passage this morning. I'll be reading from Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, the New Living Translation. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen? That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, Sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, and are heartless and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. You may be seated. Thanks, Bob. Good morning, New City. Come on up here, David. Hey, um, I'm going to do something uh, that we're going to start doing uh, a little bit um, on some Sundays. I'm going to introduce a member of our community and do kind of a little short interview. So my friend David Humphreys has agreed to be uh, the, the first guy up here. So give him a round of applause for the courage to be up here today. Yeah. Um, so uh, Dave and I were having coffee this week at, at Brakeman's, and man, if you haven't met this guy, you are, you're missing out. Um, he, this is an amazing human being, um, a great story. Um, he's a musician, among other things, loves the scriptures, loves Jesus. Um, and, and we were sitting at Brakeman's, and we were just talking about 
uh, the text in Romans and in Romans 1. And, and David was sharing with me, you know, a perspective of a black man hearing the teaching that Paul refers him to himself as a slave and, and how that hit him and, and some of the others um, in his community. And so I just thought, you know, this is something I want to do. You know, preaching, teaching God's word should be less a speech from me to you and more a conversation that we're having with each other. And we all have different perspectives. Um, and so I, wanna, I just want to bring that out. Let's talk about it. So, David, first, man, I'd just love um, for you to introduce yourself, whatever you want to um, tell us about yourself. Cool. Hey, I'm David. Um, I am old. I've been, uh, <laughs> been in Charlotte for almost five years. I'm engaged to the beautiful Benita over there in the corner. Give her some love. Um, I don't know. I, I am always constantly uh, trying to grow and draw closer to God. I've spent, my dad was a pastor, and um, my dad and my mom were married for about 19, 20 years, 19 of, 19 of those years, he cheated on my mom. So I spent the better part of my life not fully running from God, but in a swift walk from the Lord. So <laughs> um, encountering New City, encountering Benita has allowed me to now just, I can't run from him. He does things by design. Even when I'm trying to get away from him, he's still actively pursuing me. So it's like at some point you just got to sit down, shut up, and just let him do his thing. <laughs> Man, that's just, that's just a taste. So, you know, part of this is we're um, inter interviewing, talking to each other. Man, grab David, you know, in the, in the foyer after church, have a conversation, get to know each other. There's more to that story um, for sure. Um, so, David, we were having this conversation at Breakman's about Romans 1 uh, around this word doulos in the Greek that, that we said, you know, is probably most accurately translated slave. And you were just kind of sharing with me, like, man, that word hits different people in our culture in different ways yeah. based on, you know, our experiences and the experiences yeah. of our ancestors and our people. So I'd just love for you to share, you know, how did that word hit you? What are your perspectives on it? How are you processing okay. that teaching? Um, initially, when I heard it, I was like, you want me to do what? But um, understanding Paul you understand that Paul is a very intense person. So when Paul is speaking to slavery, he's not speaking to the pain of my ancestors. He's speaking to the intensity of the obedience that he is given to Christ. He sees that I've been purchased. Um, yes, I have a choice to give my life to Christ, but he still purchased me. And in his purchase of me, what he wants me to do, what he wants me to say, where he wants me to go, is now all I do. And Paul is saying, it's, it's as intense as being a slave, if that makes sense. So it's not to, if, it's, it's not to, it doesn't carry the same vitriol of the memories or the experience of my ancestors. It's really to say, once you come to Christ, there shouldn't be another option. Yes, we all know there is, but the way Paul is seeing it, Paul is, to him, there is no other option but following Christ. So. Amen. And um, David, tell, me, tell us a little bit more. What do you think about Paul 
the letter to the Romans in general. You shared a little bit about that okay. with me. I'd love to hear. I think the people need to hear it. Okay. Yeah. Um, Paul is my favorite person in the Bible. Um, I say I'm probably more like David because I mess up a lot and then cry and run back. But Paul is the person that I aspire to be. Paul, there's a script, there's a Romans chapter 9. If you get a chance to read it, Romans chapter 9, verse 1, he's like, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. I know it's going to sound crazy, but I'm not lying. And in verse 2, he says, I would consider myself cut off from Christ if it meant that all of my brethren could come to Christ. We grow up in church. Uh, we grow up in church learning that it's all about our relationship with Christ. And that's what's most important. And Paul is saying, no, what's most important is that all of you come to know Christ. And if it meant that I had to be separated from Christ, that you came to know him, that makes me happy. He had such an encounter with Jesus that what he received from Jesus was enough for him. That he was like, now I got to make sure everybody else knows about it. In 1 Corinthians, he says, to the weak, I become weak. To the, to the Jew, I become Jew. I become all things to all men. So by all means, I can just say some. Like, that's how much he loved God and loved people. Like, it changed his whole, it changed his whole perception. Like, we all know that he was a part of, we all know that he was a part of um, when the Jews went and when the Jews were being persecuted, the Christians were being persecuted. But then once he met Jesus on that road, it changed life for him and it changed how he saw people. It was no more just, it was no more about, because when, when Paul was doing it, he felt like as when he was, I'm getting stumbled on my way. No, you're good, man. So when Paul was doing it, he felt like, okay, I am doing the right thing by persecuting these people who believe in Jesus. I'm protecting my people. When he encounters Jesus, now he's like, I have to make sure everybody, no matter what ethnicity, no matter where you come from, I need to make sure everyone knows Jesus. And if we have that focus as a body of believers, we will truly change the world. We, we can't like, and we're too, like, the end is coming. We, this is Paul's message, Paul's heart, Paul's passion is what we need in this time. His commitment, just everything about Paul is what's necessary for us as believers now. I'm done. Amen. Man, that, give it up for that. that that's, a, that's a hard act to follow. Um, but that, thank you so much, David, for your heart. Um, you know, I think my job as pastor isn't, isn't to be the only voice in the community. It's to be a shepherd. It's to be a convener of our community that we be unified under King Jesus. And uh, so thank you for sharing that. Now, I just want to end with, you are a musician, a really good musician, if you haven't heard his music. Where can we find, where can we go and find your music? And, and your, what is your name, uh, your stage name? Uh, Dave Hall um, is my stage name. If you have Spotify, YouTube, or. Apple Music, anything like that, you can go uh, look up Dave Hall, and I'll come up. Um, I I love God. I love music. I think music is a very powerful tool, so I feel honored that he allows me to share my relationship with him through that venue. So, yeah. All right. Thank you, David. Let's give him a round of applause. Thank you so much.
Well, we're going to launch into um, what's a pretty, pretty intense, difficult part of, of Romans today. But, you know, as I was thinking about this and kind of how to tee this up, um, like David mentioned, you know, Paul is all about the good news. He's, he's fervent. He's passionate about the good news story. And the good news, remember, is, is Jesus is king. But, you know, before we can really understand how good the good news is, we have to understand bad news. And I was thinking about this good news, bad news paradigm and, you know, if somebody came to you and asked you, you know, I have good news and bad news, which do you want first? What would you say? Good news or bad news? Bad news. Me too. I want the bad news. You know, I want to end, I want to end with the good news. I want to have some context. Uh, I was thinking about this. There was a, a time, it was during COVID. We were living in Simpsonville, South Carolina. And uh, we were having some, we had a water damage by our front door. And you remember during COVID, you know, we were, we were afraid of each other. And so when the workers uh, came in to pull up my subfloor and replace this water damage, I hid up in my bedroom upstairs because I was like, I don't know, these guys might have COVID, you know. Um, and so I'm up there, they're banging away, they're working, and suddenly I hear a knock on my door. And it's, you know, I'm upstairs in my bedroom and I open the door and there's kind of the, the leader of this construction crew. And he goes... Well, I got some good news and I got some bad news. Like, oh no, not what you want to hear from your contractor. And he says, uh, what, you know, what do you want first? I was like, give me, the, give me the bad news, man. He said, well, the bad news is that uh, we found a snake hiding in the insulation under your subfloor. That's the bad news. I was like, yeah, that's pretty bad. Um, I said, what's the good news? He says, I don't think it's poisonous. <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, the bad news got a little bit worse when he said, you know, you, you're not paying me enough to remove a snake, so you're going to have to do it. So I suited up in gloves and winter coat, got tongs from the kitchen, and I went and removed the snake myself. Um, was, you know, probably a picture of me tearing through my front yard and slinging this snake, you know, as far as I could. It was a black snake, so it was fun. And uh, it lived to, to scare people on another day. But I think that's right. I think we want bad news first because it gives context for good news. And, and that's what, you know, that's what David was reminding us of this morning, that, that in Romans, um, Paul is telling us all about this good news, that Jesus is king. And, and he does tell us, like, the impact that had on his life, that um, for him, that meant that he's totally devoted. He, he said, you know, I'm a slave to Jesus. I'm, apost I'm an apostle of the good news of Jesus. I'm giving my life um, to take this news to the world. But there's this reality for us that we can't really know how good that good news is for us and for us as a community and for us individually until we know how bad the bad news is. And that's our passage today um, in, in Romans 1, beginning in verse 18, begins to unpack that there's bad news. And spoiler alert, it's really bad news. You see, in verses 18, uh, starting in a section beginning in chapter 1, verse 18, that actually extends all the way through chapter 3, verse 20, Paul is explaining, exploring the depths of sin and brokenness. And he explores this um, really uh, in, in depth, individually and collectively. And so it's this big passage of scripture, and I want to point that out because we're going to get into some specific forms of brokenness today, but I want us to make sure we have this uh, zoomed out picture that Paul is really exploring uh, and explaining the depths of sin and brokenness for humanity. Why is he doing that? Because 
you don't really understand the need that you have for the good news until you understand how bad the bad news is about yourself. And, and so today, you know, my prayer is that uh, this would hit us all in a way that we would be moved to repentance. But because that's what happened to me as I read that this passage this week is that I, I began to look in the mirror and say, you know what, I am, I am so broken and it's so easy to move through life and, and, and think, you know, things are going pretty well. I mean, my relationships are okay. I mean, things are going okay in my life. And then forget how broken I am, that I'm utterly sinful and broken. And so I hope it hits you in, in a particular way that way. And, you know, and, and it, might not be, it might not feel good to hear some of the things that we're going to talk about today. But I want to let you know that's okay. It's okay if it doesn't feel good because, you know, it's kind of like cleaning out a wound, right? If you have a wound um, and it's a deep wound and it's infected and, and maybe you've got some shrapnel in the wound, you know, for that healing to take place, you can't just cover it up. If you just cover it up, um, it'll actually kill you. Instead, you have to open the wound and you have to clean it out properly. But when you do that, it's not going to feel good. But ultimately, that's the way that we're healed. And I want us to think about our scripture today in that way, that we're exposing the woundedness of our broken and sin, and, and we're exposing it, and it hurts, and it doesn't feel good, but ultimately it leads to our healing. Now, a little bit more broad context for what Paul is, is doing in this section of the letter is, is that he's going to unpack brokenness. Remember, he's writing to the church in, in Rome, which would have been house churches, five to seven house churches meeting in the poor areas of Rome. But remember, all around them is, is the, at that time, the world's most massive city, the world's most influential city, and it's a pagan city. And that word pagan we're going to use uh, throughout our teaching just, just means that this is a people who live without regard for the living God. They live without regard for him. It, it's, it's a humanistic society. Um, it's a pagan society where they worship other gods, um, as we'll see. But he unpacks this brokenness in three sections. The first section is chapter 1, uh, verses 18 through 32, which is the passage we read today. And, and here he unpacks the brokenness of the Gentiles. Now, who were the Gentiles? They were the outsiders. They were not the Jews. They were not God's chosen people. And so they would have been people who had not experienced um, in, in their family lineage the, the work of God through history. They would have been people um, who historically had been outside, outsiders to the Hebrew faith. And then later in, in chapter 2 uh, through verses uh, sorry, 2 uh, verse 1 through 3 verse 8, he's going to unpack the brokenness of the Jews. And he's going to say, hey, those who are insiders, you have a brokenness too. Just because you're Jewish, just because you grew up understanding the Hebrew text, doesn't mean you don't have sin and brokenness. You have it too, but it looks different. And then in chapter 3 verses 9 through 20, he'll unpack the brokenness of everyone. The big thing here is that uh, no one gets a pass. No one gets a pass, regardless of their background. Remember, he's writing to a church that includes both Jews and Gentiles. And um, he's saying to them, listen, we're all broken. Whether we're outsiders or insiders, we're all broken. And that's a great reminder for us today. Look, I don't know what your background is. I don't know if you're, you know, new to the church, new to faith. Maybe you didn't grow up um, in, in the tradition of Christian faith. Or maybe you grew up with a ton of Christian faith in your, in your past and history. But it doesn't matter that we are all, whether we're outsiders or insiders to the faith, we all have brokenness. And if I can define it in one way, 
It's that we've all forgotten God. We've all forgotten God, and we've all lived without regard for him in the world. Let's jump into the text, and uh, as, we, as we get there, verse 18, there's a word that just pops off of the page. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And so the first thing that we have to address is this word anger. Because I don't know about you, but that hits me in a particularly bad way. Like God, thinking of God as angry is not a way that we often think of God as Christians. But here it is, and it's a very loaded word, but we have to define what anger means here. And you see, anger is God's righteous response to sin. It, it, it's not spontaneous. It's not off the cuff. It, it's not self-focused. And, and in here, it's important to note that the anger is in the present tense. So Paul's not talking about a coming anger that's going to come at the end of time. Like God's just going to let people do everything they want. And then suddenly he's going to become wrathful and angry at the end of time. But instead it says he's angry right now as, as he's writing this letter. He's angry about the brokenness of people and throughout the course of humanity's rebellion against God. I love the way that the theologian Douglas Moo uh, talks about God's anger here. He says, The anger and the wrath of God is not an emotional rage, but a steadfast opposition to all that is evil. As long as God is God, he cannot behold with indifference that his creation is destroyed and his holy will trodden underfoot. It's not an, emo an emotional rage, but it's a steadfast opposition to all that is evil. You see, God has complete integrity with who he is. He, he is the arbiter of right and wrong. He's the one who decides. And he cannot be opposed to himself. And so he's opposed to all that is evil. And as we go through this teaching, the paradigm I want you to keep in mind is the paradigm of kingdom. Because we keep talking about that, right? Because the good news is Jesus is king, which means he has a kingdom that he reigns, right? And where he is, is in charge but that also means in the story of the world that remember if we go back to Genesis chapter 3, right in the beginning of the story we see God's kingdom, but we see there's an opposed opposition to that kingdom. And, and it's, it comes out in two ways. We see that there's um, a, a deceitful demonic force of evil named Satan who first appears as, as a serpent and comes and appears throughout the story in the Old Testament. Uh, that there's a spiritual force of evil that is opposed to God's kingdom. But we also see that there are real, there's a world that is opposed to God's kingdom. There's a kingdom of the world. And it's to that kingdom of the world in Rome that Paul is writing this letter and saying there's a kingdom of the world, there's a demonic force of evil in the world that is opposed to the kingdom of God. And so there's war between God and the world. So back to our question, what is it that makes God angry, righteously angry? that he's in steadfast opposition to all that is evil. If we unpack this further, it's, it's the idea that create, of creation destroying itself. And, and the way I would summarize this is living without regard for God in his created world. And, and that was true for the people in Rome, that they, they rejected who God was and what the obvious things that he was uh, proclaiming about himself through his creation and, and then, so they lived without regard for him in the world. And this is what we call general revelation. If we look at verses 19 through 20, 
Verse 19, they know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to, to them. For since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky, and through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. You see, friends, we were made to know who God is, and the first way that he reveals himself is in this general way, regardless of your religious background, regardless of your culture, we were made as human beings to participate in the creation that was made for God's glory, that was made to teach us things about the nature of God. That's the way God made the world, that God made it as an ordered world. He made beauty. He made things that were connected. He made things to fit together. He made the world to work in a certain way. But you see, Humanity in our sinful nature, when we live without regard for him in the world, we reject what is obvious, what is common knowledge. And so Paul says, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. Everyone should know the basic things about God. You see, Paul goes on further that when we live without regard to a creator, when it's obvious to everything, what comes as a result of that is foolishness. And he uses that word over and over again. And foolishness, he defines as suppressing basic and obvious truth about creation and its ordering. See, people are without excuse for not knowing there's a creator and a thoughtful design to the world and its ordering. And, and I think that ought to hit us in our culture too. I mean, this is crazy. He's writing to an ancient people who've, who've seen the obvious ordering of the world and have rejected it and now have become foolish in their ways that they have ideas about God that aren't true and ideas about themselves that aren't true and that there's consequences for that. And, and the same thing is happening in our culture all around us because the, the kingdom of the world hasn't changed. It just looks different. But it's the same kingdom. It's the same evil that's opposed to God. And so we see that when we're confused about basic building blocks of humanity, which include things like anatomy, God made our bodies to work in a certain way. We're going to look deeper at sexuality, that God made our bodies sexually to work in a certain way, that he made society that we would function in a certain way together as people. But when we reject these basic things that we should obviously see in God's design, it's because we've suppressed this general truth about him. And that's a hard teaching for us that God could be an angry God. But we're going to see it's intimately woven into the good news and that we have to understand that, that God is in charge, that he is the king, and that he can hold together opposing things at once that a human being can't hold together. You know, it's really hard for us as people, I would say it's impossible for us to, 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 be, to be righteously angry and completely kind and loving at the same time. But you see, we're not God, but God can hold these disparate things together that, that he can be appropriately wrathful and angry that people have rejected him and rejected his ways. And at the same time, completely kind and benevolent and gracious in his character and his nature. And we'll keep looking at that as we plow through the book of Romans together. So the first thing we see is that people are made to know God. God has made that obvious to, to, to all people, but we've rejected in foolishness 
those basic building blocks of humanity. But the second thing that he brings out in verses 21 through 23 is that we're also made, not only made to know God, but we're made to be worshipers of God and that we cannot help but worship. So verse 21, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or, or even give him thanks. So you see, it, it's not just that we reject knowledge of God, but we don't respond to him in the appropriate way when we reject him in the world. And it says they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. And claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And I want to give us some context here because Paul's writing to the church in Rome. And what happened was uh, five years before he wrote this letter, the emperor Claudius uh, threw out all of uh, the Jewish Christians from the, the churches, the house churches in Rome. He, he threw them out and they weren't allowed to be in Rome any longer. So all that was left in these house churches was Gentile Christians, Christians who had come from this larger Roman culture, who did not have that background of the Hebrew text, who didn't grow up in homes where they were told about the living God and told about the magnificent things that he had done throughout the history of the world. And so you had this church now led by people that were profoundly influenced by the culture around them. And, and then five years later, uh, they had a different emperor and, and the Jews were allowed to come back in. And so Paul's writing to this church that's confused where something called assimilation has happened, where uh, the pressure of the larger culture has pressed into these small, new, weak house churches. And so the things that they believe um, aren't completely right because they're, it's not the pure gospel. Instead, the message has been tainted by the culture around them. And I just want us to sit in that for a moment because that's always the case for us in the church. Because we're a countercultural movement proclaiming a kingdom that is not of this world. And so there's a kingdom of this world, there's systems of this world, there's teachings of this world that are not of the kingdom of God. And when we allow them, even in small ways, to infiltrate into our thinking, into our ways of thinking about ourselves, and as we see as our sexuality and our relationship and our ideas of community and our ideas of politics and wealth, what we see is that we no longer have a view of God, a view of ourselves, a view of the world that is accurate or correct. And in small and in larger ways, we, like the Romans, live like fools. That was the context, this assimilation had been happening. And so instead of the church transforming the culture it was in, the church was being transformed by the culture. And I want us to sit in this for a minute because it's, it's right, I think, where we are in, in our culture in the West, but more specifically in, in the United States. Uh, one of my favorite teachers um, and, and preachers who talks about some of these uh, cultural problems that we have as a church now is a guy named John Mark Comer. Um, he's, he lives out in Portland. If you've been out to Portland, I was out there recently. It's a tough place. It's a tough place because uh, the systems of the world are, are ruling and reigning. And, and there's a word I would use to describe the culture there, and it's chaos. And I'm going to use that word later because when the systems of the world take over your life and when they take over our collective lives and when they take over our culture, what results is not the order that God intended, but it's instead the chaos that evil demands. But John Mark Comer from his seat in Portland says that 
Uh, identity issues are the prevailing struggle of our culture in our churches because we, like the Romans, have assimilated a pagan worldview in our understanding of sexuality, money, and power politics. And so this is the part where I said at the beginning, like, we ought to be moved to repentance. We ought to be moved to introspection and, and, and look at our lives and say, in what ways have I rejected the truth of the scriptures? Have I rejected God's order, his plan? Have I rejected him as king that he gets to be the arbiter of what's right and wrong? That he gets to tell me what it means to be human and it's not me as a human that gets to tell him what it means to be God? In what ways have we done that? Because friends, each one of us have done it. Each one of us are doing it in our lives. But you see, what leads to unity in the church, and this is the beauty of this gathering, is the shared understanding of our created order and a shared repentance to the ways that we are not in allegiance to King Jesus. And that's what draws us together as we look at King Jesus and we look at his ways and we look at his instructions for our lives and we repent. And repent means that we turn away from something and we turn towards something and we say, you know, it's not my will, but yours be done. It's not my desire, but your desire that be done. But it's, it's, it's so hard for us because it's so deeply rooted in us. Paul goes on to say, you know what, there's, there's consequences for when we live with, without regard for God in the world. When, when we put ourselves in the place of God, there's a consequence. And, and, and verse 24 begins to unpack that. Paul says, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And that ought to scare us to death to be abandoned by God. And for God to say, you know what, fine, have it your way, do what you're gonna do. Whatever your heart's desire, just do that. But that's the consequence of rebellion. And, and, and that begins to, to get into the depths of our teaching this morning that's difficult. Verse 25 may be the most important verse in this passage. They traded the truth about God for a lie. It's an allusion to Genesis 3. The story hasn't changed. It's still going on in the church today. Is, is that we see what is true about God, but we trade it for lies. Lies about us, lies about God, lies about the world. And so... Then it says they worshiped and served the things of God. Remember, he's talking about the culture in Rome. He's talking about this broader culture. And he says they abandoned them. He abandoned them to their shameful desires. And then he begins to talk about sexuality in, in, in some intimate and uh, expressive ways. So, so why talk about sexuality? Well, well, first, it was pervasive in the Roman culture. It, it defined their culture in many ways. But also because, you see, sexuality is an intimate space where we're meant to experience intimacy with one another in a marriage relationship between a man and a woman and a covenant promised relationship. And so because it's a way that God wants to express his love and fidelity for people, it's also a battleground for the enemy. I want to point out that we're, though this is talking about homosexuality here in a minute, and we're going to talk about that, and I know that's a hard topic for some people, 
I, I want to point out that this overall passage is not primarily about homosexuality. What, it, what it's really about is our nature as people to reject God, to control our lives, and to put ourselves in, in the seat of God instead of God himself. But, but he begins with sexuality because it's pervasive in the culture and, and because it's such an intimate experience that God had plans for. But I have to say this, friends, that, you know, men having sex with men and women having sex with women does not fit in God's created order. And, and that's the plain teaching of the scriptures. But I also want to tell you this morning that Paul highlights this behavior not because it's worse than any other sin, because it's worse than greed or infidelity or lust, because the truth is we all sin sexually in some way. But he highlights it because of the nature of sex that it was created by God to be expressed and enjoyed in the context of the covenant bonds of marriage between the man and the woman. Because, you see, marriage is meant to be the closest relationship on earth to the type of relationship that God desires with his people in love and fidelity and union. But, but friends, I, 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 wanna, I, I don't want you to miss this this morning, that if you struggle or you're struggling with same-sex attraction, or, or maybe you have a child struggling in this way, or maybe you have a, a friend struggling in this way, I, I want you to know, I know that it's real, and I know that it's painful, and I know it's so hard and confusing But I want to be clear in what the scriptures teach because these behaviors are not God's best. It's not his created order. It won't lead to the life that you think it's going to lead to, to the, what the culture says it's going to lead to. And I also want to say that you are welcome here to struggle in any of these things. Just like you're, you're welcome here if you struggle with greed or envy. You're welcome here. We're all sinful but I love you too much and God loves you too much to not tell you the truth about his created order for you and, and his desires for your sexuality because, again, he's the king. And, and I think at the heart of this is that many of us believe that, you know what, if we can control our own happiness, that, that we're not happy, we're not satisfied, but we think if I can just control it, if I can be in charge, if, if I can shape my sexuality, if, if I can get things and do things that bring me pleasure, then that control will give me what I deeply long for. But the reason that we have to teach clearly about this is because I have to tell you that it won't lead you there. Because that control is the very thing that's keeping you from experiencing the freedom and joy that God has for us. You see, we're desperately, we desperately want order, but we're trying to get at it through disordered lives. We want the freedom to live a disordered life and have an ordered result. We want right relationships. We want freedom. We want innocence. We want justice. In other words, we want the kingdom of God without the king, Jesus. And we think that we can do it better than God. So God gives it over and says, fine, do it your way. And that's what he says to the Romans, that God abandoned them to their choices to face those consequences. And, and, and we all do that. The same way, but friends, I, I want to I wanna read you what follows because I told you this is not primarily a passage about homosexuality, though we have to talk about that because it's, you know, it's, it's deep into our culture and it's, it's, 
It's deep in um, some of our lives. But, but I don't want to leave you with that because Paul doesn't leave us with that. By the way, I've got my study Bible in large print because I'm getting old. It's giant. It weighs about 30 pounds. So my arm might start shaking. Um, but I want to read you what um, verse 29 says. It says, after he talks about the issue of homosexuality, it says, their lives. Now, he's not talking about the lives of homosexual people struggling with homosexual sins. He's talking about the Roman culture in general, which he he says, you know, sexual um, sin defines part of of that. But then he says, their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and this is my favorite one, and they disobey their parents. What I want you to catch here is that we we can all identify with these sins. But what we like to do in our culture is we like to rank order sins and say these are the really bad ones that keep you out and these are the ones that are okay that like we can tolerate. But, but what Paul is clearly teaching is that there's a King Jesus and his standard is perfect. And he says, come and follow me. Put your trust in me alone. Believe what I say to you about who you are as a person Believe what I say to you and demonstrate you to you about the person of God. And, and, and see the world for what it is. And, and what he unpacks here is a description of the world that has rejected God as king. And that when we reject God as king and he hands people over to abandon them to their own ways, that it does not lead to the freedom that the world tells you. It does not lead to the happiness that the movements in our culture tell you. It leads to death and it leads to destruction and it leads to hell on earth, which is what is unpacked here. And it's a disordered world that none of us want to live in. And that's his message. And if I had to use one word to describe it, the word would be chaos. You see, we're all on this list. And I want to end with Uh, The first verse in chapter 2, which Tim Keller calls the sucker punch of Romans, says this. He says, you may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. You see, friends, there's bad news for all of us. The bad news is that without Jesus... We're abandoned by God and left to our own devices and there's no way out. And we'll only spiral down into the depths of despair and ultimately death. But this is the beauty of who God is, that he holds two things at once, that he holds his anger and his wrath against people that reject him. And at the same time, he came And he entered the story himself and he went to the cross. And at the cross, he sat and he stood between a wrathful and angry God and the people that God loves and says, you know what, there's a way out. And the way out is a king. If you would just believe in him, if you would just be loyal to him, if you would just lay down your preferences, lay down your control and say, you know what, I'm gonna follow that king. 
and his name is Jesus, then there's a way out, and it's the way to the life that you've always wanted. To Christ be the glory today. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you are king. We thank you that uh, none of us have an excuse, that you've revealed yourself in the creation itself. Lord, we thank you that you make yourself known in common ways, and then you make yourself known in the specific way of the story of Jesus. So, Lord, I pray for each one of us today. I pray for myself and my brothers and sisters in this room for the ways that we've individually rejected you, for the ways that we've taken control of our lives, for the ways that we've tried to find happiness in our sexuality. Lord, that we've tried to find happiness and wholeness in things that cannot bear the weight of our soul. Lord, would you... Would you help us to humbly turn away from such things and turn to you, our King? And Lord, may we see the glorious light of your love and be drawn to it. Individually and as a people, would you transform us that we might convey your pure gospel, your good news to the world that desperately needs it. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. And we pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.